Stonebridge, this is Matt Nelson. I'm the adult discipleship pastor here at Stonebridge, and I'm so glad that you guys are here with us this morning. Every Sunday, it's our desire that all of us, from the students, the children, the adults, that we would have the opportunity to be able to connect with God and that we would be able to connect together as a body. And, and so if you've just recently joined us the last couple of Sundays, uh, we're glad that you're here, and we want, to, we want to get you guys plugged into our church body. And so I'd love for you to contact me. You can email me at matt at stonebridgemarietta.org, just with a simple email line of new to Stonebridge. That would be great. And we'd love to share with you more about our church, more about the vision of seeing Marietta transformed by God. And, uh, and so we look forward to connecting more with you. Also, I shared with this with you guys with this last week, but we have a couple new small groups that have started all online. And so you can look at these small groups. There's five new small groups on the link below in the video description. And if you would want to get more plugged into our church and into our, uh, our church body. And so go ahead and click that link and take a look at those five new small groups. So on the last Sunday of every month, we want to take a couple of minutes to look back and to remember at all the ways that we are thankful for seeing God at work in our lives. And so when we do this, when we remember and look back, it builds our faith. It strengthens our faith. And, and we're given the opportunity to remember and to see how God has been faithful over this past month. And it also gives us, as a, as a body of believers, the opportunity to be able to celebrate together in where we have seen God at work. And so I believe in this, in this uh, unusual time, it's even now more important than ever, that even in the midst of our circumstances, we would take the time to be able to see where God has been at work in our lives and to give him thanks. And so we want to give you guys the opportunity through two different ways to be able to share First, if you're watching this video with other people, go ahead and pause the video and uh, spend a couple of minutes sharing just where you have seen God at work in your life and what you are thankful for from God. Also, we want to give you the opportunity to, uh, to share what you are thankful for uh, with us as well. So you can go ahead and write a comment or uh, in the chat feature, what you are thankful for from God and where you have seen him at work in your life. So let's go ahead and take a minute and pause and to think back where we have seen God at work in our lives and what we are thankful for from God. All right, thank you. And like I mentioned before, go ahead and, uh, and write in what you are thankful for and where you have seen God at work in your lives in the comments and in the chat feature. And we'll look forward to celebrating together where God has been at work in our body together. Let's go ahead and pray and give thanks back to God. I want to lead us in a prayer this morning. So go ahead, let's pray together. Father, 
Father God, we love you. We thank you for this time and this opportunity, Lord, that we can still connect together in worship and prayer and digging into your word, remembering your truths and your promises. God, so we want to thank you for who you are, that you are a good father who invites us in to meet with you, that we get to come and to meet with you this morning. So let's go ahead and pray for our families, our neighbors, and others in our community that they would have the opportunity to experience God's goodness as well. Father, we also thank you for all the ways that you have answered our prayers, for the ways that you have shown yourself faithful, for you have loved us well. And we want to pray specifically for this time, for those that are struggling with their faith, those that are doubting you, that they would have the opportunity to experience you, to experience your goodness to experience your voice speaking into their life and that it would strengthen, it would renew their faith. Father, we thank you for providing for all of our needs in this time. We don't want to lose sight of how good you have been in the middle of this time with the virus, Lord. You have provided for everything that we need, and we give you thanks. So let's go ahead and pray in this time of scarcity that everyone around the whole world would have food, would have shelter, clean water, would have access to adequate health care. Father, we have so much to be thankful for. And you do not say that we have to step away from our circumstances, but you say in, in the middle of our circumstances, Lord, that we can remember and hold tight to who you are and to what you have done for us. 
God, we know that when we give thanks, our perspective changes, our attitude, our, our hearts change. And that joy takes over, Lord. And so I, I pray that all of us will be able to experience your joy and your goodness in this time. We pray all these things in your name, Jesus. We love you. Amen. Thanks. Glad you guys are with us. Uh, my name is David. I'm the pastor uh, here at Stonebridge. A couple of things as we move into our offering time. I guess they're, they're, they're money-related. One, the building. I'm just going to give you all a brief update. We've actually extended the uh, construction window. We originally were supposed to be done on May 22nd, but now we're going to be done on May 30th, and that's, that's Stonebridge. That's not the, the general contractor. Integrity was on schedule, but over the last uh, seven to ten days, we've actually had, um, we've had some financial uh, blessings, I guess. Uh, there's some money that we had set aside to pay breakage penalties uh, when we moved since we were uh, ending both of our leases early. We have tenants for all of our spaces and so uh, the majority of those penalties have been erased and so that has freed up some money for us to go back and do some things in the building that we had originally cut and so that adds a week to the schedule but it's a good week because we'll be able to get a few more things done uh, that we felt like were pretty important um, but again we cut them we wanted to make sure that we had the money to pay the lease breakage penalties. Uh, we had tenants for all of our spaces. All of those leases are signed. And so we've been able to redirect that money back towards the construction uh, project. It is going to, again, it's going to extend us by a week, but it's a good week. So you can just continue to pray. We're about a month away uh, from being able to move in, and we'll keep you posted on all of that. Also, another thing. Uh, with money. Many of you have been giving, and you've been giving very generously over the last five or six weeks. Uh, many of you have been directing money towards our benevolence fund as well. Just a few things, just so you can know how that money is being used. There was a family at Stonebridge. Uh, we used some of that money to pay uh, medical bills. Um, one of the, the, the person who was sick was unable to work, and then the spouse uh, was not able to work because of COVID, and so they had some pretty significant medical bills, and those have been paid, uh, well, we paid for some of those medical bills. Uh, we've several people at Dwell, I think it was three at Dwell Apartments, money was used to help them with their rent. Uh, several requests have, been come, have come through Marietta City Schools, uh, car payment for someone who just um, uh, was coming out of a domestic violence uh, shelter, needed, to be, needed a, their car so they could get to work. Uh, several uh, rent payments as well there. So we're really thankful uh, for y'all's generosity, and um, we, we hope that we're using that money in a way that uh, honors God and that uh, blesses other people. So I'm going to take a few minutes and pray, and we'd encourage y'all to go ahead and give in whatever way you're giving right now. All the different options are on your screen. So the first thing, just kind of tying into what Matt was saying, thanking God for all that he's given to us. We've said before, both globally and historically, we're some of the richest people ever. We tend to look around at people in our sphere who make more than us, and we say, well, those guys may be rich, but not me. But by any global or historic standard, we're, we're one percenters, all of us. I just want to thank the Lord for the way he's taken care of us, the way he's provided for us. And God, we do. We're thankful for 
roofs over our head that don't leak. We're thankful for refrigerators that keep our food cold. We're thankful for heat and air in our house. We're thankful for water that comes on when we twist a faucet and we don't have to walk a mile to a well and lug it back. We're thankful for not just one, but more grocery stores than we can count and multiple cars to drive to those multiple grocery stores to get what we, not just what we need, but what we want. You've given us so much. We're thankful that we have to decide which pair of shoes to wear. We got more than one. You've given us, again, so much, and we're so thankful. We don't want to overlook your provision for us. God, I'm also thankful for the men and women in this church who don't hold on to what you've given them, who freely give what they freely received. God, we're thankful for the way you've provided for this building project in so many ways. The generosity of the person that we purchased the building from, the overwhelming response to this pledge campaign that was more than any of us could have asked or imagined. The way you've worked out the details for us to be able to redirect money from lease breakage fees towards construction items. We pray in this last few weeks, we pray for, an in, for integrity and we pray that you would give them grace to finish well. God, I pray for us as a body that you would be preparing us for this transition. It's not what any of us thought it would look like, but I pray that you prepare us to transition out of this space and into the next. And we pray for those who will be following us here, that this place would be a place for them to flourish and to thrive in all ways. God, I'm thankful for uh, the ways you're using the generosity of the people in this church to bless those in our community. People will never, will, will never meet them. They may never darken the door of this church, but our prayer is that they would know that they have a Father in heaven who's taking care of them. When this, when this help comes, it comes through Russell and Megan or it comes through the social workers at Marietta City Schools, I pray that the recipients would recognize that the ultimate source of it is you. You're the one. You've seen. You've heard their cries and you've answered. And that would stir within them a deep sense of gratitude and thanksgiving as well. And God, I pray as we move forward as a church that we would continue to know how, what it is to, to be not just good stewards, but to be good neighbors to the people uh, among whom you've placed us. God, as we turn our hearts to you in worship, we want to give you everything that we have. All of our heart, all of our soul, all of our mind, and all of our strength. God, I pray for people who are in their homes and trying to break through that barrier of awkwardness to worshiping with a screen and in their living room. I pray for courage to engage this morning. You're worthy of all of our heart and of all of our soul and all of our mind and all of our strength. And so that's what we give you now. In Jesus' name, amen.
desperation, I turned to heaven and spoke your name into the night. Then through the darkness, your loving kindness tore through the shadows of my soul. The work is finished, the end is written, Jesus Christ, my living hope. And who could imagine so great a mercy? What heart could fathom such boundless grace? The God of ages stepped down from glory to wear my sin and bear my shame. The cross is spoken, I am forgiven. The King of kings calls me his own beautiful savior I'm yours forever Jesus Christ my living hope hallelujah praise the
Again, glad you guys are tuned in. We're going to stick with Revelation. So if you've got a Bible, you can turn to Revelation 18. A couple of things uh, as you're doing that. One, in terms of gathering, we're going to keep doing this. Um, Maybe our hope would be that we can figure out some way of doing some kind of last hurrah. It won't really be uh, hurrah. Some kind of last experience in the building um, before, before we move out. Maybe the week of May 17th. Don't hold me to that. We'll try to, we're going to just explore, see what we can come up with, see what we can do that would allow people that want to kind of come through one more time to come through one more time, and that would uh, still keep everybody uh, safe and healthy. So we'll just look out for that. We'll do the, we're going to be planning that, or at least exploring that in the next couple of weeks, and we'll, we'll keep you posted. Uh, second thing, I mentioned the, um, the elementary pastor position last week, and I want to encourage you. Uh, to continue to pray for that role. And uh, two things, remember we said last week, if you feel, if somebody comes to mind um, as you're praying about that role, reach out to them, nudge them. Uh, That may be the confirmation that they're needing. God speaks to the body and through the body, or to the body, through the body. And the second thing I would say, if you're considering applying, but maybe you're going all the way down the road, going, I I don't know if I'm a good fit, or I don't know how this is going to work. Like, don't, don't do that. Just reach out. Uh, Reach out to Katie. A conversation is not a commitment. And one thing that we've seen over the years of hiring people is that the process of applying actually is used by God to help uh, folks discern their calling. So sometimes we've had people apply and they've pulled out at some point and said, you know what, now I realize this is actually where God wants me to go. We actually have people on our staff who originally applied for other positions on our staff and and that kind of led them to where they are now. So I, I do want to encourage you. It's, a, it's easy for me to say I'm not the one taking the risk. I recognize there's a risk involved, but I think it's worth it. It's easier for God to steer a moving ship. And so that step, just reaching out to Katie, that, that is a risk for you. Uh, I, I get that. But I think the Lord can use that to help direct you in terms of your, your future calling, whether that's uh, on staff here or somewhere else. So... So keep praying and uh, be obedient to however the Lord is leading you. Uh, so Revelation 17 and 18, we said uh, Revelation 17 and 18 are an expansion of the seventh bowl of God's wrath from chapter 16. Uh, so chapter 16 closes with the seventh bowl. Among other things, it, John hears and sees the fall of Babylon. You know, fallen is Babylon the great. And so uh, chapter 17 and 18 expand upon what does that mean? What does it mean for Babylon to drink the cup um, of the wine of the fury of the wrath of God? That's not a cup anybody wants to drink, but that's the cup that Babylon is drinking in chapter 17 and 18. Expand upon what that means, the cup of the wine of the fury of the wrath of God. Uh, Chapter 17, John sees a vision. He sees a woman on a scarlet beast. We said the beast is the same beast from Revelation chapter 13, so that's, that's Roman political and military power. And then we said the, the woman is described as the great prostitute. She's described as Babylon the great. And then there's four characteristics you know, that John sees with her, that she's incredibly wealthy. She's a global city, incredibly influential, high degree of sexual immorality, and spiritually unfaithful as a part of that spiritual unfaithfulness persecuting the church. 
And then using those three lenses that we talked about last week, past, present, future, we said the first audience, so seven churches in Turkey, they would have said automatically the beast, that's Roman power, and a political and military power. And this woman is the city of Rome. She's the, the, she represents the, the attitudes, the values, um, the, the culture of that wealthy city. In the future, that's what's murky for us. The, the, the generation leading up to Jesus' return. Maybe that beast at that point, maybe it's the, the power, political power, military power, the Antichrist, I don't know. And maybe the woman then is, is either another global city like ancient Rome or maybe just the world system that's been intensified. But for us, what does it mean to us in Marietta in April 2020? The beast is political and military power. And the woman is the world. That's what the New Testament calls the world. It's a system of, of uh, values and behaviors and attitudes separate from Jesus that's also hostile to Jesus. So the, world, the, the, the word world in the New Testament has multiple meanings. The way that we're talking about here, it's not the world in terms of the physical earth. It's not the world in terms of the people who live on the earth. It's the, it's the, again, it's this, it's this system under the control of Satan and his minions. It's, it's the uh, separate from Jesus, hostile to Jesus, the attitudes and behaviors uh, and values that we embody kind of as a people. Again, separate from Jesus and hostile to him. So uh, keep that in mind as we read chapter 18. Let me give you a bit more context it's really important, I think, that we keep this in mind when we're reading Revelation. Remember, the book was written to seven churches in Asia Minor who were being squeezed. They're being squeezed by the Roman Empire, the biggest, baddest power in the world at that time. Uh, and they were being squeezed particularly by this emperor, Domitian, who was saying, I'm God. He actually wanted to be called Lord and God. He made everybody call him that, even his wife. Lord and God, that's how you had to address him. And if you were unwilling to worship him, you, there were consequences. You'd be punished. You could be killed for that. And some of these seven churches were experiencing persecution because they were unwilling to worship Domitian. You can see some of the churches there on your screen. Those are pullouts from those descriptions or pullouts of verses from chapter 2 and 3 in Revelation. Uh, the church in Smyrna is being persecuted. There's a, a church where there's uh, been a, a martyr already. And, and God, Jesus is commending the church for being faithful, even in the midst of that persecution. But we saw last week, the church is not just being squeezed. The church is also being tempted. It's not just the political and military power of Rome that's squeezing the church. It's not just the emperor saying, worship me as Lord and God. It's also... Uh, the, the city of Rome, again, think of the city personified. It's, it's all that the city represents. It's this incredible amount of wealth that is flowing through Rome. It's, it's also a high degree of immorality. And you can see some of those churches on your screen uh, of those seven that are compromising. They're, they're, they're compromising with Rome. They, they're giving in to temptation. They're being seduced by Rome. And what uh, Jesus says to both of them. It's, it's the theme of the book of Revelation. It's, it's what God expects when you're squeezed and it's what God expects when you're tempted. And he expects us to remain faithful witnesses to him. He expects us to be faithful. He expects us 
uh, to remain loyal and committed, to not pull off or pull back from our commitment with Jesus because it's become costly to us or because there are consequences. God expects us to remain committed, to remain faithful, even if it costs us our lives. And then witnesses, that's the public-facing element of being faithful. It's what the world sees. As the church remains faithful to Jesus, even if it's costing them, even in the midst of squeezing and temptation, then, then the world will take notice, and some of them will turn towards Jesus. Not all, but some will. So that's what God expects, and that, that thread runs throughout Revelation. When you're squeezed and when you're tempted, what does God want? He expects you to be a faithful witness regardless of the cost to yourself. We're being squeezed right now. We're not being squeezed by uh, an empire or an emperor. We're being squeezed by a virus and the steps that are being taken to slow the spread of that virus. And we're always tempted. We're, we're the wealthiest nation in the history of the world. And so uh, we mentioned this last week, mammon is always uh, seeking to entice us, to seduce us, to draw our allegiance away from Jesus and towards it. So we're people who are being squeezed and being tempted. Not in exactly the same way that these seven churches were, but God's word to us through Revelation is exactly the same. He expects us to be a faithful witness to him. I think about that phrase, that confession, Jesus is Lord, Romans 10. If anyone confesses with their mouth that Jesus is Lord and believes in their heart that God's raised him from the dead, they'll be saved. And we hear that and it sounds like, well, that's pretty simple. Who can't say Jesus is Lord? It's just three words. Anybody can say that. Is that all it takes? If you think about the context, though, to say Jesus is Lord, if you're one of these seven churches, is to say Domitian is not Lord. And that puts you in the crosshairs with him. That's a risky statement to say Jesus is Lord. I was thinking about that for us. And again, that confession is pretty easy for most of us to make. But I think now in the circumstances that we're in, we always confess Jesus is Lord. I think the, the confession for our day is Jesus is my rock. I think in, in, in light of the squeezing that we're experiencing because of COVID-19 and the restrictions that are being placed upon us to try to slow the spread. I think the, the confession for us, always Jesus is Lord. But I think that the faithful witness for us as a people right now is Jesus is my rock. And we're going to circle back to that after we look at just a handful of verses here in chapter 18. Just the first eight verses. After this, so after I saw the woman on the scarlet beast... I saw another angel coming down from heaven. He had great authority, and the earth was illuminated by a splendor. With a mighty voice, he shouted, Fallen, fallen is Babylon the great. She's become a dwelling for demons and a haunt for every impure spirit, a haunt for every unclean bird, a haunt for every unclean and detestable animal. Why? Because all the nations have drunk the maddening wine of her adulteries, the kings of the earth committed adultery with her, and the merchants of the earth grew rich from her excessive luxuries. Then I heard another voice from heaven say, Come out of her, my people, so that you will not share in her sins, so that you will not receive any of her plagues. For her sins are piled up to heaven, and God has remembered her crimes. Give back to her as she is given. Pay her back double for what she has done. Pour her a double portion from her own cup. Give her as much torment and grief as the glory and luxury she gave herself. In her heart, she boasts, I sit enthroned as queen. I'm not a widow. I will never mourn. 
Therefore, in one day, her plagues will overtake her, death, mourning, and famine. She will be consumed by fire, for mighty is the Lord God who judges her. So that's called a, a prophetic taunt. You see those in the Old Testament. You see them in Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, the, the prophets. are these oracles against either like the local bully or an oracle against the global power of the day. It's an oracle against Philistine, who's like a lo- the, the Philistines are like local bullies, or Babylon, who would be the, the greatest world power uh, at the time. So what these things are, remember, is- Israel's a little fish in a really big pond, and Israel is constantly being pushed around and threatened and, and kind of bullied and pushed on, and, and occasionally... God will give one of his people a prophet. He'll give them insight into what's going to happen to these, again, either these local bullies or these global superpowers. And the prophet would write that down. And we're standing thousands of years on the other side of that. And we can look back and say, well, of course that happened. Of course the Philistines were overrun. Or of course the Aramites were overrun. Or of course Babylon was overthrown. But in the moment... It was, you're saying something about these guys that are bigger than you and badder than you and stronger than you. And that's what's going on in Revelation 18. It's written in the 90s. This is the height of Roman power and Roman influence and Roman wealth. This is not uh, an empire that's declining, that's on its last legs, that's crumbling. This is John when Rome is at its apex saying, you're going to get yours. God is going to overthrow you. God is going to pay you back for what you've done. All that you've been sowing, you're going to reap and it's going to come strong and it's going to come quick. And that would have been totally out of the blue in the 90 90 something AD when Rome is the dominant power of the day. There are no rivals. And to hear these words in Revelation 18, Rome's going to be over. Again, we're 1500 years on the other side of the fall of Rome. That's not shocking to us. But when John says this, when those first seven congregations are hearing it read to them, it would have been out of the blue for them, completely out of the blue. It would be encouraging. Hey, this big bully is going to be overthrown. So these churches, those three that you just saw a minute ago that are being squeezed and that are remaining faithful, but they're being persecuted, what they hear is God's going to vindicate us. He's going to vindicate us. He's going to overthrow the beast. And he's going to overthrow Babylon and, and he's, going to, uh, he's going to reward us for our faithfulness. But if you're some of those churches that have been compromising, you would hear this as a rebuke and as a challenge. You don't want to be associated with her because she's going down. You don't want to be associated with her because she's about to get everything that she deserves. And that's that just those few verses, the one I want us to focus on is verse 4. Come out of her, why? So you don't share in her sins and so that you don't share in her plagues. We don't have to worry about sharing in her plagues. That's the judgments that God would pour out on Babylon if we don't share in her sins. So we'll just put that aside and say if we don't share in her sins, we don't have to worry about sharing in her plagues. What I want us to think about is what does it mean to come out of Babylon so that we don't share in her sins. Again, if you're one of those first seven churches, that would have been a challenge to you and maybe a rebuke if you'd already begun to compromise with Rome. If you're the church in Laodicea and you're going, we're rich. And what Jesus looks, sees when he looks at the churches, and you're actually not. You're wretched and you're poor and you're blind and you're naked. You're in need. You've got great need. 
And so if you're, if you're the guys in Laodicea and you read chapter 18, that may be kind of a cut you to the heart and make you realize, whoa, we've kind of, we've, we've, we've hitched our, our wagon to the wrong horse and we need to repent of that. And I wonder for us where we are, what does it look like for us, to, for the, the spirit to say to us, come out of Babylon so you don't share in her sins. Remember, if you're the first churches hearing this, Babylon is Rome. What does it mean to come out? It doesn't mean to physically move out of Rome. Remember this revelation is written to seven churches that are in seven cities and none of those seven cities are Rome. None of these guys lived in Rome. It's not a physical separation. It's ideological. I want you to, I want you to separate yourself from the attitudes, from the beliefs, from the values, from the behaviors of Rome. All of the things that they're uh, that they're valuing and they're practicing. I want you to separate yourself from them. Again, it's not physical, it's ideological. And the same thing is true for us. Come out of Babylon, it's not about physically moving. No criticism of uh, believing communities that have done that in the past, whether that's monks and nuns that formed convents, whether that may be the Mennonites and the Amish, I don't know their history, but maybe all of those things are an attempt to be faithful to this word to come out of Babylon. Again, no criticism of them, but that's not what God's asking you to do or you'd already be gone. You know, there's a part of us that sometimes wishes, well, we could just move everything. You probably said that, but we could just move. And in your mind, you're probably thinking if I could move to a smaller town or if I could move a place where, where the pace is a little bit slower, then everything would be okay. And it's not really true. The, the issue for us, it's not if I can flip it, it's not so much saying I've got to come out of Babylon as I've got to get Babylon out of me. Wherever I move, my, I go with me. I take my heart with me wherever I go. And the issue for, for me, and I think it's probably the issue for most of us, is that Babylon has gotten into us. And we have to figure out how do I get it out of me. And then you can live anywhere. You can live in Milledgeville or New York City. It doesn't matter. If Babylon's not in you, then you're free, as Jesus said, to be in the world, but not of it. You're free to, to live, to, to swim in the waters of the world without being polluted by the value system and the attitudes and the behaviors of the world. I read an, an article, it'll be up on the screen, quarantine. Uh, that word quarantine comes from the Latin word for 40. I don't know Latin, but trust in the guys that wrote it. And they're saying that word actually has biblical and theological roots. Moses was quarantined in a sense. He was self-isolated for 40 days on Mount Sinai. And Jesus was quarantined or self-isolated for 40 days in the desert. And that's, that's where, where we are. And I want to encourage you. It seems like things are maybe beginning to open back up. And whether you think that's too soon or right on time, it really is irrelevant. Things are going to ramp back up. That's just the way it's going to be. And I don't want you to miss what you can gain from this period of quarantine or self-isolation. If the question is, how do I come out of Babylon? Again, for us, the thing we need to be asking the Holy Spirit is, show me where Babylon has gotten into me. The, 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 the thing for me is not to move to a smaller town with a slower pace. The thing for me, and I think it's the thing for you as well, is to say, where have the the values, where have the attitudes, where have the behaviors and practices of the world gotten hooked into my heart? During this time, at least in my lifetime, this is the quietest the world has ever been. It's never been quieter and it's never been slower. 
at least in my 45 years. And in that sense, it's a gift to us to be able to say, okay, God, in this period of, of isolation that's being imposed on us from kind of from the powers that be, so we're all having to do it. This isn't about me or you having to go on a silent retreat for two weeks or re- go to the desert for a month to try to be alone. This is being imposed on all of us. And in the midst of that imposition of quiet and isolation, to say, Holy Spirit, now I want you to show me where has Babylon taken root in my heart? And I'm going to put all the weight on you to figure that out. I can't answer that question for the however many hundreds of you are watching this video. You've got to take responsibility for your heart before the Lord. And I want to beg you to do that before April 30th. That's Thursday. I don't know what happens on May 1st. I don't know if he lifts a state of emergency. I don't know what's going to go on then, but I don't want you to get back into the rat race. And every one of us is going to be tempted to do that. As the volume of the world increases, I don't want you to miss what we could gain from this period of quarantine which is saying to the Holy Spirit, show me where has Babylon gotten its hooks into my heart? And it's going to be most likely one of these three areas. It's going to be around wealth. Rome was incredibly wealthy. We live in an incredibly wealthy society as, as well. And we're foolish if we think that mammon does not impact us, that we're not enticed and seduced by mammon. It's interesting when Jesus talks about money, at times he calls it unrighteous mammon. And for many of us, we think money is, it's morally neutral. It's neither good nor bad. If you read through the New Testament, you'll realize that, yes, there are good things about money. And then there's bad things about money. And that bad outweighs the good. And we need to be discerning about that and to recognize the the temptations that come. Uh, from the wealth that we're a part of. I wish you could read this book. It's hard to find. It's called Money, Sex, and Power by Richard Foster. He's a guy that wrote Celebration of Discipline. He wrote it in the mid-80s, and it's out of print. So it's hard to find, but if you can, he goes into all three of these things uh, that we're going to talk about uh, in great depth and with a lot of specificity. And even though it's uh, 30-something years old, I still find it to be uh, pretty relevant. Money, Sex, and Power by Richard Foster. You can see if you can find it. Uh, But anyway, so thinking about us in Babylon, money grabs a hold of our hearts and we need to be willing to say, God, where has that happened for me? Where am I making decisions just based on economics rather than obedience to you? Where am I allowing the value system of capitalism or or this, uh, the world to determine what I do and don't do versus obedience to you? Where am I allowing my bank account to make decisions for me versus your Holy Spirit? Second is sexual immorality, something that's rampant in our culture. That's not just the physical act of adultery. It's all manner of sexual sin. Any sex outside of marriage, it's pornography in all of its forms, it's lust and all of its expressions, the dehumanization of people uh, sexually. There's a lot that can go under that bucket. Um, I think there are probably people watching this who are under 18, so we're going to move on. Uh, but you need to be asking the Lord, is, has that, is, is that an area where Babylon has taken hold of my heart, where I'm allowing the, the world to determine what is okay sexually? 
I'm allowing the world to determine if something is right or wrong versus you. A place where I've compromising the standards that are clearly spelled out in the New Testament uh, for sex. Am I compromising those just because everybody else is doing it? Last is spiritual unfaithfulness. Most devastating of all, everything else flows out of that. Remember, those were the characteristics of Babylon. You have the influence. You can take that and put it on the side. Incredible wealth, sexual immorality, and spiritual unfaithfulness. And as you're asking the Lord, where has Babylon taken a hold of my heart? Most likely, it's going to be in one of those three areas. Temptations around money, temptations around sex, temptations around spiritual unfaithfulness. And that can take lots of different uh, forms. I, I, I find one is, uh, it's a resistance, it's, it's a slowness and obedience. Those of you who are parents, you probably at some point said to your kids, slow obedience is disobedience. We usually don't apply that to ourselves when it comes to the Lord. We tend to kind of wrestle with him and jockey with him and bargain with him rather than just doing what he's clearly leading us to do. I also find that that spiritual unfaithfulness, it can look like slow obedience, a dragging our feet. I think it can also, that kind of a resistance to the leading of the Holy Spirit. I think it can also look a lot like uh, just being casual in our relationship with God. We forget who he is. We forget that he's the Holy One. We forget that he's created all things. We forget that it's in him that we live and move and have our being. And we can almost treat him like a pet rock that we can put in our pocket and we can pull him out when we need him. And we don't, we can just slip him back in our pocket. We, we lose sight of who he really is. That song that we sang talking about the lion. You can't tame him, but we try. And we treat him not like he's a lion, but like he's a house cat. And that we can pick him up and move him around and that we can ignore him when we want to. We've lost sight, I think, of his holiness. That's one of the ways I think we become spiritually unfaithful. One is, again, spiritual. It's just a, it's a hesitancy or a resistance in our obedience to the Lord. But the other, is it's a, it's a, I guess it's a casualness in the way we relate to him. And I think it's, that's actually probably rooted in the idea we've emphasized so much the truth that God is loving and that God is good and that he's our father and that he desires us to come to him and he wants intimacy and all of those things are 100% true. And I think part where that can lead the bit of a distortion if we're not also saying, and he's holy and he's the king and he's the Lord. If we're not also saying that at the same time, God can quickly go from being kind of a holy father to being a grandfather to being kind of a Santa Claus for us. And I don't want that to happen. I think it's one of the places where we can become spiritually unfaithful. But you're responsible. You ask the Lord over the next, before April 30th, God, where has Babylon taken a hold of my heart? Where are its hooks? Where are her hooks getting set in my heart? When I move out of this period of quarantine, I want to be able to see, I don't want to share in her sins. I certainly don't want to experience her judgments, but I don't want to share in her sins. So show me where the, her sins have become my sins. And wherever he shows you, you just repent. Super simple. God, I confess this is an area of my life where I've given in to temptation, and I pray that you would forgive me, and I pray that you would give me grace to walk in a new way. If you need help with that, then you can reach out to us, and we'll be happy to walk you through that. Last thing, we're going to take communion 
Uh, and as, we're, as you're preparing for that, I've been thinking, as what I mentioned earlier, this idea of Jesus is my rock. And that confession, not just Jesus is the rock, but he's my rock. And what does that confession look like in this season that we're experiencing as a people? When I think of rock, I think of two things. One is like a foundation. You'll see a picture on your screen. One is a, is a foundation, like what you would build a house on. Uh, and we think, that's what I tend to think about. My feet are firmly set on the foundation that is Jesus. And we mentioned last week, one of the things that I think can come out of this time for us is we see the, uh, we see how faulty, we see how uh, fleeting is money is, which is one of the things that competes with Jesus to be the foundation of our life. And money says, if you have enough of me, you don't have to worry. And now we see how, again, how fleeting that is. Money can't hold up the promise. Money's not strong enough to bear the weight of our life. And so when, all of, when, when money is being shaken, it can cause us to, to recognize, well, I was putting some weight on my job or on my bank account or on my retirement plan, it doesn't need to be there. That weight needs to be fully on Jesus. And so that can be one of the blessings that comes out of this time, this shaking. Uh, we can see what are some things where maybe I was leaning on, some things I was relying on, standing on that are sand, that are not the rock that is Jesus. You know, we're recognizing the limits of science and medicine and our own intelligence. We're recognizing the limits of, of, of our uh, our leaders, they're doing the best they can, but we're recognizing in a lot of ways, you know, if we're putting all of our weight on the decisions that they're making, we're, that's, that's not solid ground for us. We need to be putting our weight firmly on Jesus. So a, a good thing that comes out of shaking is we recognize the sand in our own life. And that's what we tend to think about when we think about rock. But in the Old Testament, like Psalm 62, David talks about God as his rock. And the geography of Israel was a little bit different. You know, they had these, the desert, and in the desert they had these they had caves, and they had these rock formations, these crags. And, and, and David talks about a rock as a fortress, not necessarily a rock as a foundation, 100% true, but also the, a rock as a fortress. So if you flip that back around, I was talking about getting Babylon out of us. If we go back to the biblical phrase, come out of Babylon, my people, well, where do we go when we come out of Babylon? You run to Jesus. He's your rock. He's your fortress. He's the one in whom you take refuge. I'm going to read you some of Psalm 62 as you prepare your heart for communion. Truly my soul finds rest in God. My salvation comes from him. Truly he is my rock and my salvation. He is my fortress. I will never be shaken. Yes, my soul find rest in God. My hope comes from him. Truly, he is my rock and my salvation. He is my fortress. I will not be shaken. My salvation and my honor depend on God. He is my, my mighty rock, my refuge. Trust in him at all times, you people. Pour out your hearts to him, for God is our refuge. One thing God has spoken, two things I've heard. Power belongs to you, God, and with you, Lord, is unfailing love. And you reward everyone according to what they've done. I want you to close your eyes and I'm going to lead you in a little time of prayer. You can get your stuff together for communion. We'll go right out of this prayer into communion. Bo's going to sing that psalm over us. A guy named Kevin Mann. I went to college with him. He wrote this song that Bo's about to sing. So as you're taking communion, just let the words of this 
song, which is the words of this psalm, kind of wash over you. So let me just encourage you with a couple of things as we're praying. First, where do you tend to run? If you're feeling stressed, if you're feeling afraid, if you're feeling run down, where do you run? If you're not sure, just ask the Holy Spirit, show me. Where, do I, where am I running? If it's anything, anywhere, other than Jesus, then you're not running to the rock. You're not running to the fortress. You're not running to a place that cannot be shaken. So whatever came to your mind, just confess that as sin. God, I confess that I run to television just to numb my mind. I run to alcohol to dull my heart. I run to Whatever it is. And I confess that none of those things are the rock. None of those things are a fortress. None of those things are my salvation. God, when I'm tempted to do that this week, Holy Spirit, would you remind me of Psalm 62? Would you find me that I can... Would you remind me that, that my rest is found in Jesus? And that I would run to him. That same idea of a rock. God, is there, would you show me, is there any place, Holy Spirit, where I'm building on a shaky foundation? Whatever comes to your mind, just confess that. God, I confess in that area. I'm doing that. I'm building on sand. I'm so thankful that you would show me that now and that you're giving me an opportunity to repent before my house comes crashing down. I want to build on you, Jesus, on the rock. God, my, my prayer for each one of us, children and students and adults in ways that are age and life appropriate, I pray every one of us would be a faithful witness to the reality that you, Jesus, are our rock. In the midst of the squeezing that we're all undergoing, my prayer is that we would remain faithful witnesses. In the midst of the temptations that we're all facing, and those will extend beyond COVID-19 restrictions, I pray that we would all be faithful witnesses. I pray, God, that Babylon would come out of us and that we would not share in her sins. God, I pray that you would give us compassion and we would rescue people from Babylon with the good news of the rock, the sure foundation and the strong fortress. God, as we take communion, I pray that you would remind us of your consistency. That's a boring sounding word. But in uncertain times, how wonderful is it to know that our God is faithful, that he's trustworthy, that he's entirely consistent. We can count on you.
period, dot, the end. You're not capricious. You're not random. You're not arbitrary. You don't change your mind. You're not wishy-washy. You're not fickle. I pray as we, whatever we're using for bread, as we take that and dip that in whatever we're using to represent your blood, Jesus, that we're reminded of your faithfulness. All the way back to Genesis 3, immediately after the first sin in the world, you said you were going to fix it. You said that there would be an offspring from Adam and Eve who would tread on the head of the serpent. And thousands of years later, you sent your son to be that offspring. And he's defeated Satan. And so... As we're reminded of your faithfulness, you kept your promise over thousands of years. As the people that you chose, Israel, were fickle. They ran hot and cold just like we do. But you kept your promise. God, I pray that as we take communion, we'd be reminded that you keep your promises to us. That you're the rock. You're our rock. You're our firm foundation. And you're our mighty fortress. I pray that each of us this week would find our salvation and our rest in you and in you alone. In Jesus' name. You guys take communion and then as well as you can, wherever you are, I want you to try to be quiet for the next three or four minutes and just allow the words of this song to kind of wash over you and to penetrate your heart. And then I'll come up and I'll close us out uh, when, in a couple of minutes.
Two things as we're wrapping up. One, I really do want you to take a I want you to take a few minutes before Thursday, and I want you to figure out, God, what am I what am I taking from this quarantine? Show me the places where Babylon has taken root in my heart. We may talk about that in some of those uh, morning devotions to give some more handholds, but I want you to be asking the Lord that question and taking note of that. You don't want to miss what you can learn only during this period. Again, it's a unique, it's the most unique time I've experienced in my 45 years, and I would imagine many of you would say the same thing. We don't want to miss what God can teach us only in this season of our life. And I think part of that, again, when Babylon, the volume has been turned down, then we can see more easily and readily where we've been infected uh, by her thoughts and her attitudes and her values and her behaviors. And then the second thing, when you feel when you're feeling that, when you're feeling squeezed, when you're feeling tempted, remember where your rock is and run to him. You don't have to face those things on your own. God expects us to be faithful witnesses, but he doesn't expect us to be faithful witnesses in our own strength. He's given us the Holy Spirit who empowers us. And again, that, that picture for us, running to the rock, our fortress. And I want you to practice that this week. You guys have a great week and we'll talk to you again soon.